like three things here. This is uh, Kevin Evans with the chapter by chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God uh, Church in Greenville. And we are studying John and we are in chapter nine. But before we begin, I have uh, a confession and a recommendation. First of all, Kenny Molden isn't here, and uh, he is uh, an, a well-established member in our church and uh, has been here longer than pretty much everybody in the room, and uh, was on the board during a very difficult time, and one of my closest friends at this church. And Kenny and I are both uh, nerds, self-avowed nerds, and uh, we relate to each other is this by... New? Is new? No, no, okay. it's not new. No, no, not new. I just, I'm saying this for posterity, and I know that Kenny is listening, which is why I'm saying this. So Kenny and I relate to each other by exchanging DVDs of general, well, at least interpersonal interest. I don't think general interest would cover it in any way. Uh, and so uh, we've been doing that for years, and usually he steers me pretty right, and sometimes, you know, there's a miss here and there. So um, Kenny gave me this DVD that was a uh, Christian production that was crowdsourced through a private amateur company. You know, I like movies. I like good movies, Matthew. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know. And, and I don't want to denigrate the Christian movie industry, but it's amateur. <laughs> yeah. I, it I could name I could name a few um, movies that we've seen here as part of you know church events that were, well, let's just call them amateurish without getting really they mean. stunk. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not a huge fan, and I'm already a Christian convert. I don't, I don't need to hear the message again badly told. So, uh, you know, uh, and so Kenny gives me this crowdfunded thing, and I'm going, I don't know. And so I take it home, and I plug it in, and I watched four minutes. Four minutes. And um, there was a, a crazy woman with some kind of mental problem, and it, there, she was hiding behind a table in this dark little hut. And there was, and there was uh, a Pharisee, and then there was some weirdo in a white tunic. I've been telling you and, about this for weeks. And, and I said, No, I'm not doing this. I, and I turned it off. Okay. And so, so the next week, the next week, Kenny asked me how, how you know, how. Uh, uh, what was it? And I said, well, you know, I really haven't had a chance to watch it. And I stonewalled him. You know how you do. And, uh, and you know, I'll get around to it. You know, I've just been a little busy. And I'm just hoping that he would forget that he gave it to me. You know, and uh, he eventually did. He, he let up. I, I stonewalled him for three weeks. And, and, and then, you know, it, it keeps coming up in class. And, and, and eventually, I have to watch it in self-defense because you're all using references that I don't understand. And that really makes me feel inadequate. And my <laughs> self-esteem was starting to crash. And so I put it in again. I was hooked at 15 minutes. Really? You never yeah, I had to get past that first uh, uh, kind of off-putting scene. And then... I, I was hooked at 15 minutes, and then... Um, we never made it past that first four minutes. <laughs> no. 
I then binged the first two seasons this last week. I've watched 16 hours of The Chosen in one week. And I am very... I'm, I'm very su supportive of this whole effort. I can't believe how well this is done. They are taking a lot of creative license in the characterization. However, the characterization is fitting the biblical narrative and facts that we know, which is like a spare. And at first, I was kind of arguing with myself because now everybody for the rest of time is going to think that Matthew would have had Asperger's. Yeah, but, uh, it, and I think there's a danger in that. But the thing is, that's what I'm doing in this class. We're reading this scripture. We're trying to put it within some kind of cultural context. And we're telling that story within our own understanding. That's what everybody does when they read scripture. Nobody reads scripture and comes away from it outside of their own understanding of, of their culture. Yes, it's not. And so, I, so this, is, this is fair. I don't think it's anything that uh, uh, I really had an issue with until, until, until the last episode in the second season, if you haven't gotten there. Spoiler. Uh, yeah. 2,000-year-old I, I was grooving to it until that one, and then and I feel like they're setting up the Gnostic Gospel of Mary Magdalene which I have big exceptions to, and I... Well, we've I seen season know. three. What are you talking about? There's a season three? Yeah, they just did the season for now. You forget I haven't seen season three. Go on YouTube or the Angel app, and you can watch them for free. There's apps. Oh, There's apps. Okay. Well, it's like a prequel to the Da Vinci Code. Okay, after, after all of that, I have season one here, and I have it on no less than two streaming services at this point. So I don't need these DVDs. If anybody does not have access and would like the first season of The Chosen, I have it here. I take it out of the plastic stuff because it takes too much room. So there, 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 there that's, that's for free for the first person that grabs it. You don't want it. Okay. Hi, come in. There's one over there. Is he with you? So has everybody here watched it then and enjoyed it? I seem to be the last one. Have you seen it yet? We watched the first four minutes. I know. Watch the first fifteen, and then then, then say it. Yeah, yeah. What Kevin said is they, they do take a lot of literally. They tell stories, and because a lot of what Jesus movies just stick with the scripture. And to be quite honest, it gets boring because there's no. And the disciples are all colorless, personality. <coughs> yeah. The purpose is not. It's the story's not about Jesus. The story's about the disciples mm -hmm. and each of their personalities and how they come to know Christ. And literally, life is but true to the spirit of scripture. And uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount's powerful. The, the healing in the third season because he heals Jairus' daughter. And okay. don't I don't know what happened. I've never heard this story before. So. <laughs> the woman that touches the hem of his garment, super powerful. Super powerful. Yeah. And, and then at, on the Angel app, if you watch it on the Angel app, after each episode they have a testimony of someone who was touched by the episode because you can do the self thing. There, you know, you got people. I've been on drugs, and this has brought me back to the church. This has brought me back to the scripture, and things like that. Very powerful. Okay. So there you go, Kenny. I confess. I apologize. Don't use it for scripture. Don't use it for <coughs> Kenny was right. Okay. Now John MacArthur came out against it and said this is sin if you watch it. So that makes me watch it three times. Yeah, because you know what? You know what? He's not listening. He's, it's okay. He's not listening. He's, well, he, what's so funny is he said, this, well, it's telling stories that aren't in the Bible, and that's a sin. But then I've heard his sermons, which he adds to the scripture. He says, well, I can see this person. Do 
He did the same thing. Yeah. There are several commentators that take the same position that the Bible is silent, we're supposed to be, because otherwise you're adding to Scripture and Revelation warns us against it. Anyway, I think we have to read it within our own context, but that's another story. I've heard that the, the writers and directors have spoken out. I've never watched it, but they've said, this is fiction. <coughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> this, it's basically fan fiction. They put it so. at the beginning of the episode said this is this is these are fictionalized literary additions we add. We believe they keep with the spirit of scripture. Please don't take this as gospel scripture study. Go use this to go back to the Bible to read. We tried to get the original cast, but they weren't available. Right? <laughs> 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 Contract. Negotiations. They wanted to. <laughs> I really like Simon the Zealot, that story. Because I've always suspected that uh, Simon the Zealot and Matthew had some crossroad words at some point or another. They were at opposite ends of a very well, violent spectrum. In the second season, he starts to bully Matthew. Ooh, really? He starts to bully oh, Matthew. Oh, looking for yeah. Philip joins and comes to Matthew's defense. Because yeah. Matthew got opposite. Well, yeah. We know that Paul and Peter didn't love each other real well. We haven't got to Paul yet. Not not in this the story yet. But, but that's true. Okay. Uh, how about some scripture? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Uh, we were in chapter nine. The entire chapter of nine. It, it, the entire chapter. John, my sentence just does not want to come out of my mouth. Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes. Okay, yeah. Uh, it concerns one healing of a man born blind. And uh, we read this last week and uh, jumped in, and we never got past verse 5 because everybody got distracted with the whole predestination thing. And please, Bill, let's not go there again this week. Everybody stare at Bill. Oh, he's ready. See, he's got notes over there. He is so ready for the retort from last time. Anyway, um, I think we thoroughly discussed that, and uh, we're going to try to pick it up at verse 6. And I was so looking forward to getting to verse 6 last time because I was all ready to talk about spit. I had researched spit, and I wanted to talk about spit, and we never got there. So here we go. Here we go. Uh, let's just read verse 6 through verse 12. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, uh, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go, wash, to, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. Uh, I don't know, he said. Wow, we got through a lot of verses there. Oh, we're, we're, not, we're not through. <laughs> we got to unpack it now. Okay, so the first time I read this when I was, I don't know, nine, and uh, Jesus spat in the mud and put mud in the man's eyes. 
And my first thought was, I need to heal my little brother's eyes right now. How'd that go for you? Not well. <laughs> he still doesn't see. <laughs> he could see it now, he can't because he's got sand in his eyes. Oh, Kyle, I want to apologize in public for everything I've ever done to you as an older brother. Big brother tormenting a little yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. It is strange, though, that why he did this healing of the eyes different from all the others. Um, is it? Yeah. Why, why is it strange, Bill? And why he oh, because he just, like Bartholomew, he just, he, you know, he touched his eyes and he healed him. And the other one that he healed his eyes where he said he saw a man walking his trees and then he touched him again and then he could see. But this one, he used mud on his eyes and told him to go wash. He didn't just heal his eyes right there on the spot. So it's, 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 it's strange why he did this one so much different than the others. Maybe that's to teach us that you can't just do one, two, three and always get the same Because there are result. churches who do the mud thing right now. Today, today, you could go find one in the church that does because that's mentioned in scripture where we put mud on people's eyes and the healing in their eyes. Um, it, be, it becomes about the, the process. The method. Right. Christ. So he's not creating a little hex that we can use and we, we don't want to create a... Because then it's magic. Yes. And then it's all about us and not God. And so one of the explanations that Jesus used a different method every time was because to avoid that. Uh, I would like to think, and I can't support this looking at the other miracles, it doesn't hold up, that Christ wanted the person being healed to engage him voluntarily. I think God wants us to come to him. Uh, otherwise, if God just wanted to save all mankind, whether you've repented or not, boom, you know, this would be a much simpler affair if it was just about him and we didn't have to embrace God, you know, if he was just going to be a totalitarian and fix us, whether we like it or not. Uh, he's not going to do that. We have to approach him. We have to want it. We have to ask. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to season three. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to season three. Yeah. Actually, um, how would this man know to pursue God? He well, know yeah. And so here's a guy, and, uh, and they're discussing him as a theological point. He's not, he hasn't approached Christ. He's just sitting there begging. And the disciples are going, well, do you, who, who sinned? Who made him this? Well, what do you think, Jesus? They're not worried about him. They're worried about uh, the theological point and trying to look smart in front of the teacher. That's, that's what they're doing. And so Christ goes and said he's here to, to il illustrate this, and he, and he heals it. Well, he didn't ask for it, and I feel like God wants us to do that. So Christ approached him, but they, he said, now go wash. And he has to go do something which embraces Christ. He has to take a step in, in Christ's direction. Now, there are also miracles where Christ healed people that did not do that. So I, I don't know if that's an absolute God requirement. Does. God does what God does. I think this, yeah. it was showing kind of like the first step of faith. Like the faith without works is dead. And so he had to have faith enough to believe Jesus to go get in that pool of water, which I'm sure he had to find somebody to help him put him in that pool of water. He's fine. We, we, we get there. 
It wasn't like he was paralytic or anything. No, but he was blind. No, but he was blind. Oh, okay. So, but he, but he had to have the faith to do that. If he hadn't done that, do you think that he would have got his sight back? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's my question. And I, I would say no, but but I, there are other places in Scripture where people were healed just because Jesus said so. <coughs> well, it's like the lepers. The only one that was 100% healed out of that group That's a good was, example. was the one that came back and thanked Jesus. The rest of them were healed, but not completely. What do you mean not completely? Because the Scripture said that he was made completely whole. I'll look that up later. Okay. Um, Maybe. Like for those times, maybe there's other reasons he wants to heal people. Like because he loves them. Or I'll take that. This is like a good sermon illustration he's doing here. They just ask the question, "Who sent the parent? Him as a parent? Except when you get one to show you something, and then there, there's yeah. your story. I mean, like I said, we can't put Jesus in the box. Yeah. You know, he does what he wants to do. He does it the way he wants to do it. And I've seen people pray says, I know 100% God's going to heal me." Sorry, folks, and they don't have healing in the present here and now. I've seen people who had doubts and got healed. Don't try to explain it theologically. It's Jesus does what Jesus wants. Okay. I've seen sinners healed in order to get to salvation. Now to the uh, history of spit. Um, <laughs> in pagan cultures in, around the Hebrews, there was a general understanding among healers that saliva had certain medicinal properties. Uh, and it varied depending on where you were and what that particular witch doctor was doing. But they, they were, it was not unknown to spit in your palm and mix that with something and uh, give that to you as a medicine. Uh, the rabbis, who were also basically doctors, you know, you go to the, the rabbi to come and administer to you they had a number of uh, herbal type medicines that they could give you and they would pray over you for God to heal you, you know, and that was pretty much their whole retinue, you know. And one of the things that they did was if the rabbi had been fasting, and that was the trick in Jewish culture, a fasting rabbi's spit carried a medicinal uh, properties for eye conditions. And so, uh, not, maybe not blind since birth, but if you've got pink eye, they would spit in your eye, and that would cure your pink eye, according to ancient Jewish medical rabbinical practice, which took me forever to dig out. So, uh, when Christ spits in the earth and makes a poultice of it, which I, that's what he's doing, uh, that is not something that anybody would have thought was strange. Everybody would have seen something like that in the past in some other way. He was really kind of following traditional Jewish approaches to, to healing. However, no rabbi would tackle somebody who had been blind since birth. That would, they, they, they wouldn't have tried it. And, and that really raised everybody's eyebrow. So there. So it's not strange, even though it reads strange when I was 10 years old. I didn't blind him. I did shoot him once. Did you want that? Did you want the Did you rub sand in his eye? Yeah. Did he want that? 
that you or did you force that on me? <laughs> I mean, it's past the statute of limitations at this point, so. Oh, yeah. I've, I've already paid for it a dozen times over. <laughs> no. But, you know, you know what the meanest thing I've ever done to Kyle was? I was mad at him. I forget what it was. We were fighting over comic books or something. I don't remember. And uh, he was uh, trying to make up, and, and I was not. So I said, okay, you know, Kyle, I've, I've got this project plan. I'm going to go build a bow and arrow. Would you like to come help me? And so we went out back, and we cut a strip of a willow wood out of a wood, and, 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 and it carved it down. We took t I took two hours. And, uh, oh, yeah. And uh, I, I not notched it, and uh, we had him go find the straightest stick that we could find, you know, to make an arrow, and I blunted it, got it notched, and we got it all ready to go. And I had maybe not, not quite five, seven pounds. It wasn't up to a full 10-pounder, you know, which is about the best I, I could build. And I said, okay, let's test it. Run. <laughs> that was a long setup. And he said, and he said, what, what, what? I said, run and, and he did and um there, we, there was kind of a hill that, that near you know in, in our back property and uh, I, I i paced him until he got up to the top of the hill and it was the most beautiful shot i have ever made <laughs> and you made him help you i i nailed him right in the middle of the right shoulder blade and he went flippity flipping over the top of the hill it was gorgeous oh my goodness <laughs> had this huge bruise on his shoulder oh my goodness oh oh he went and told mama and it was the end i was i i, I paid for it for weeks i branded my brother with Nice. <laughs> Just probably has con air right here. <laughs> he was the little brother, right? Yes, he was. yes, yes of course. Because that, that's the way that goes. You have, we have to keep them humble, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of what older siblings do. Is they, 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 they keep the younger siblings from developing an ego. Yeah, Yeg knows. Okay. That, that, and I'm really chasing rabbits here. Yes, let's go back to Scripture, Bill. Do you know where exactly that the Pool of Siloam was located? Yeah, let's talk about the Pool of Siloam. It was, it was located by the gate of the fountain. Uh, it's built near the wall close to the king's gardens under the stairs that go down to the city of David. Which is right beside the temple. And it is at the end of something called Hezekiah's, where is it, tunnel which was kind of a Roman aqueduct, but it's older. It's more of a Hebrew aqueduct. It's less fancy and fewer bridges, you know, like the Romans built a little bridge with a little pipe goes out, yeah. Uh, and so they were piping in basically water from up in the mountains in which kept the temple pool always full, even in drought, because they had to have water regardless of what the weather was. And so that they made that consistent. So when they washed the, there's several times when you pour water over the altar or when you just clean the altar, all the water, that, that water comes from the Pool of Siloam. Now, I don't know if that has any kind of spatial theological applications, you know, in order to Christ telling him to go wash there. I couldn't find anything along that. But basically, it was a matter of faith. He had to go somewhere and wash. Now, does he know who Christ is? No. Uh, I don't think he even knows his name at this point. He's, you know, he, he did what he was told, and, and he can see. And his neighbors, 
jump on him and say, okay, what's going on? And they take him to the Pharisees. And I'm thinking, those traitors, why are they taking him to the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the bad guys. But if he has been a blind beggar all this time, the first thing that he's going to do is go to the temple, present himself as a seeing person, and he's going to uh, get the, the beggar mantle removed from him. They literally had a coat that they wore to make them illegally beg. And he, reinst he basically reinstates his citizenhood with, uh, with Israel. So he has to go see the Pharisees uh, because he's healed. And so all of these healings that Christ is performing if those people had had that illness to the point that they were begging in society, they're all going to the temple and these same Pharisees are seeing the same, all those people come through. They're seeing every one of them. And some had to go to keep clean. They are aware. Yeah, a lot of them were lepers, you know, and, and, and the Pharisee has to examine the leper to see if he still has leprosy. Wouldn't that be a great job? I bet they give that to the new guy. Did the adulterous <laughs> what now? Did the adulterous woman that caught in the act, did she have to go before the priest? To be I cleansed? don't know. I think it, it has to do if you were a beggar or not. No, no, but it's more about the disease. It was yeah. a physical malady they had to, to give you. That so that they would be clean and they could come into the temple. temple. Right. So it was like a handicap. Like. Yeah. 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 I do have one thought raised through my head. Yes. Um, why he maybe did it a little bit different. Okay, he didn't know Jesus' name. He didn't know who did it. And the fact that he couldn't see, he didn't know what he looked like either. So then he goes and washes his eyes and he's healed. Maybe at that point, Jesus didn't want anybody to know his name or what he looked like. Just a thought. But, but, he, but he did know that he was Jesus because when they asked him who did it, he said Jesus. Yeah, but he didn't know what he looked like. He yeah. couldn't describe him. And, and Jesus was a common name. Maybe. That guy's name was Jesus. Jesus was a common name. Yeah, that's like saying John. John at church. I mean, John's been going to church. Jesus was actually quite a common name. Okay, if you say so. But maybe it was that he didn't want to be able to have him eyewitness, yes, that's the name of the woman. Because it wasn't his time to be revealed. I don't know. Just a thought that raised my head. Well, in the other Gospels, he told several people not to yeah. tell people keep and just keep this low key. Yeah, it's because it was all about timing. The That's first true. thing he did was tell told everybody. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you tell a kid not to do something, it's the repeat of the garden all over again. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, it's like a dare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Okay. So are we done with spit and mud? And okay, so that's all I got. I'm sorry. I had a whole I had a whole repertoire worked up, but now you know it's just not the timing isn't right anymore. So you know. okay, verse thirteen, the Pharisees investigate. Dum -dum -dum. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud in my ass, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinner do miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? 
It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. Okay, does that strike you as funny thing for him to say? How does he know he's a prophet? He doesn't know him from anybody. But he says he's a prophet. Bill knows the answer. I know Bill knows the answer. What's the answer, Bill? Wrong answer! Oh my goodness! Um, in the, I forgot the word for it, the pharisaical writings that is, uh, uh, elaborate on the law of Moses, there's, there's dozens and dozens of explanations of what is appropriate on the Sabbath and what is not. And they write in all these little loopholes. So you can't go take care of your sheep unless one of those sheep will die unless you take care of them. And then you can go down into the ditch and pull that sheep out and that's still okay. So uh, you can do some kinds of food things but not other kinds of food things. Uh, you can lift only so much, but not more than that. You know, there's, there, there's all these rules and, 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 and stipulations. And one of the stipulations is, if you are a prophet, none of this matters. If you're a prophet, you can do anything you want to on the Sabbath because you're a prophet. God's speaking through you. So, yeah. And so uh, this man doesn't know Jesus but the Pharisees are called, he's being called into question because he was healed on the Sabbath. What do you think? And well, he healed him on the Sabbath. So he said, prophet? I think you put that in a sermon a few months back, right? Prophet? And it's, it's a reasonable explanation. He, he's guessing, you know, he doesn't know. And so he's a prophet. The Jews still do not believe that he has been blind and received his sight until they'd sent for the man's parents. So now that, that made him mad. Because so, so when you don't like the answer to a question, you examine the premise. That's what good attorneys do. So I, they can't refute that he's seeing. So let's question the fact that he was ever blind. That'll, that'll <laughs> fix it. So we need expert testimony that he's blind. So who else but the parents? So we call the parents into the temple. By the way, when Pharisees show up at your house and say you have been summoned to the temple, it's not good. Not good at all. It doesn't happen. They, they don't do that to give you medals. It, no, no. Uh, so they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? <clears throat> They're in a bit of a position. Well, they're afraid. They're terrified of these Pharisees. I, you know, I, I the Pharisees are kind of like the mafia. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you didn't cross, you don't cross the mafia, or else you, you know, you don't show up anymore. They don't find your body. It's kind of how they were afraid of them, kind of like that's what they were. You know, it's like there's the truth to that. Mafia, I'm not going to argue. Mafia might have been nicer than the Pharisees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to interact with the mafia. Oh, I've, I've been in. A we will explore that later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been in. A um, with the head of the. Hey, I can tell Smith gets you those people to rat me. I told my old friends in Fort Worth they'll come take care of me. <laughs> 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 
joking. Stay out of that hole. Up there. Um, the Pharisees were able to excommunicate members of the Jewish uh, uh, society. If, if, if a Jew was coming to synagogue and you did something the Pharisees didn't like, like, I don't know, sin, uh, <laughs> then they had the option of casting you out, which is, there, there are two references here to casting out. And so I looked that up, and there are three different levels to ancient Jewish excommunication, and I think it's kind of the same way now. Uh, but basically, level one is you tick off a Pharisee, and the Pharisee can excommunicate you for 30 days. You are cast out of the temple for 30 days. Now, you're required to attend synagogue uh, on Sabbath, but you're not allowed into the synagogue, and so you really aren't able to uh, mix and have any kind of religious interaction for 30 days, which is the punishment. You're basically keeping you from God. Uh, and so you should, that should you know, uh, make you repent. And after 30 days, you have another appointment with the Pharisee where you need to come in and supplicate yourself to the Pharisee. Accept his power and judgment. And at that point, he has the option of restoring you to uh, uh, full, full, full privileges. However, if you are foolish, like some YouTube videos I have seen in front of a judge, and you say something defiant after your 30 days of punishment, you go into phase two, which is another 30 days of the same thing. So you get two strikes. If you come in on, at the end of the 60 days of being cast out and you are still unrepentant and do not supplicate yourself to the rabbis, then you are excommunicated permanently and you are not welcome inside the city walls. You are not only cast out of the temple, so you could at least do business in Jerusalem uh, during the first two phases. But after phase three, you are essentially uh, treated as a leper. You have to stay outside the city walls. You uh, can do business and live out there, but you can't come into any synagogue. You can't come into any temple. And uh, you live as an outcast. And they have a whole uh, class of people who are outcasts in the Hebrew, and you have to get to go join them. And uh, It reminds me of what Paul said in one of his writings the creature is trying to be is trying to be more like the cre is trying to override the creator or something that's basically paraphrasing that and that's what they're trying to do they're trying to act like they're the creator sure the creature and it was entirely up to the Pharisees judgment and if the Pharisee is corrupt you're in trouble and most of them were right. and and they knew it and the Jews knew it and so here we have his parents being summoned into the temple and being grilled by obviously angry Pharisees who are pursuing a, a violation of the Sabbath because they want to punish it. So what are, you know, the parents are in danger of being cast out here, and this is a big deal. Uh, you know what, they, I, I, I think they stepped out of the way of the bus. 
I don't think they, maybe a little. <laughs> well, he was of age. Yes. It says, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now you can see? So they answered, verse 20, we know he is our son, the parents answered. It's hard to deny that. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. I think that's a truth. He's an statement. adult. Yeah. I don't think they're throwing him in the bus. I think that's they weren't there. He will speak for himself. So they can testify to the fact that he was indeed born blind, uh, which is what they were there to testify for. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, so even if they knew, this implies that they knew that Jesus was the man, they, uh, would be put out of the synagogue. So they did not want to be excommunicated so they were tiptoeing around the name of Jesus here. Uh, that was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Uh, Give glory to God, they said, we know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. Which is the most straightforward testimony you can give. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to make his disciples too? Okay, he got sassy there. <laughs> Don't get sassy to the judge. He will hold you in contempt. And that's exactly what they did. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. You're a, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but not for this fellow. We don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. Oh my, now he's getting all testimonial. That answers the question from earlier, how did he know that Jesus was a prophet? That's what the law believed. I think he's figured it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out, meaning out of the temple. He is excommunicated for 30 days. I said, Totally with me on that point. Yay. Okay. So they throw him out. He hasn't said anything wrong. He, he did challenge them, but they're repeating the same question over and over again, and he answered them straight up. He was polite at first, I guess. So we have a man that's just been thrown out of temple and can't go to synagogue. Oh, my. I wonder what he's going to do. I keep looking at Matthew like he's going to give me an answer. Yeah. I think so. So, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man answered. You know, judging from his previous answer, I think maybe he's got a good idea. Uh... Tell me so that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. 
I think that was a longer conversation. If it were me, it would have been a longer conversation. But I think that covered that, that it covers the gist of it. Well, it I, I it's the Cliff Notes version of it. He progressed his thinking about Jesus. He went from a man in verse 11 to call him a prophet in verse 17 to someone who is followed by disciples, verse 27. Verse 33 to 1, they start calling him from God. And then in verse 38, he begins to worship him. Yeah. Prior to that. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will be become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. <clears throat> Ooh, that was a nice little debate turn there he threw in. So if you can see and they're still sinning, then that's the worst of it, I guess. So it really isn't a question of how many of you born blind. How could it be a blessing to be born blind? Because I'm just going about that. It's a little off the that most people, when they stumble, the beginning of all sin starts with, look, the ghost did And so before he was never able to see a woman, he never had adultery or, or looked at people differently or judging or had any of these things that the devil throws at people like the Pharisees, you know, trying to put themselves up on a pedestal of pride. And, I mean, it kind of goes down the list there, you know. So it helped him in a lot of ways with that. It kept him very humble. It's an interpretation. I don't know. I've, I've, I've met several blind people who are very, very functional and have all of the uh, talents and vices that the rest of us have. But now that you see, he has to go get a job. Which is true. You can't get away Well, that is the downside. I gotta go be an architect now. What? Was it something I said? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was something yeah. you said. Yeah. Well, I don't know exactly. Okay. Uh, weirdly, I think that's everything I've got. These, the Jewish people were so full of pride. I mean, they, they thought that they were the answer to the world. Well, I mean, it's the world, period. The Pharisees. I mean, well, that's us too, Bill. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I'm saying the Pharisees, they just, they wanted to control the people. Like the, It's like the early days of That's us too, Bill. Don't you see some pastors wanting to control the congregations? I mean, you can't control, I mean, they wanted to control them like with an iron fist, kind of like communism. They had all these It was the first form of it. Bill, let me go take you some Christian churches. Totalitarianism, let's get it straight. Okay. I've been to one, I went, they, sent, they sent me to a church that needed a pastor, because evidently the pastors kept leaving, and I understood immediately why. There's a woman running, riding around on a golf cart that was already dictating everything I was supposed to do, and I was just there to kind of fill in, you know, but I realized real fast why the pastors had to stay because I mean, I, 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 there's a book I do have called Defeating the Spirit of Phariseeism. It's a very good book discussing the Pharisees, but the, the guy that wrote the book wrote it, made a very important chapter. He said, in us battling Pharisees, we need to be careful that we don't become a Pharisee. And where are the Pharisees, though? Pharisees well, they're talking about judgment. Yeah, well, judgment, you know, because people, I mean, not to be quite honest, they have more to say about being God's chosen people than we do. Yes, they do, but he did. He but did. to sit there and say, well, they're prideful. 
Don't we have a problem with pride too? Yeah, we have to pray to keep it under control. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've met some pretty prideful Christians. But now their pride was a little bit different. And pastors too. How's it different? Because they acted like they were above God. He's he's got issues. <laughs> <laughs> Can, I'll introduce you some pastors who think they're above God too. I just, I mean, let's be careful about this because once again, the sin of pride is not just Jewish thing. The sin of pride is the number one sin for all of us. It's at the root of all pride. I mean, I, let's be careful about pointing to other people's yeah. pride because as soon as we're pointing to other people's pride, the other pretty fingers are pointing right back at us. Right. But I mean, we were just talking about how the Pharisees they controlled the Jewish people back in that day. I don't know whether they're as powerful today as they were then. Are they, Kevin? I don't know. That's right. You don't know? Say the blind man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just didn't know if they still had a hold like that. I don't think there's a Pharisaical system. It's rabbi system. It's very different from it. But understand, when they started out the Pharisees, it was meant to just be religious administrators, it, it made organizational sense. That their pride took them to sinful ways. Sure. Which happens anywhere. Yeah. yeah. They got all the kings that God blessed, and they followed God with their whole heart until they got so rich from God's blessing that they turned in one another's direction. Corruption follows power. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimate power. But I mean, I mean, I could probably so saw some pastors who make the Pharisees look really innocent. You know, I mean, I knew a pastor. Corruption follows power. I knew a pastor who you weren't. A, I didn't was a part of the show. You weren't allowed to go buy a new house unless you checked with the pastor. First. Yeah, I know who you mean. And I mean, let's be careful about going anti-Jewish on this. Or you, know, when you have to call the pastor to uh, schedule your vacation time so that too many people aren't out on any particular Sunday. That's an interesting requirement of the church. And I we know I know that. A church in Washington um, that was geographically fairly close to our church. And the people there did whatever the pastor told him. And he would go, he went through his congregation and said, this couple shouldn't be married. You need to divorce. This couple needs wow. to divorce. You need to marry this person. You need to marry that. He went through his whole, and he did that for years. And then many of these people who had divorced and did what he said then left the church when somehow their eyes were open and came to our church. And we have all these wounded, hurting people um, from this pastor. And this wasn't a small, yeah, we're not talking a small, a small church. church. We're talking a huge mega church in Seattle, Washington. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot more sick churches out there than what we realize um, because of the sin of pride. Pa pastor indiscretions that get pastors in trouble with denominations, yes, it can come across financial, it can come across adultery, it can come across all things. But at the heart of it, Someone thinks they can get away with stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, I can thumb my nose. I can thumb my nose. You know, and, you know, and, and it, it's a spirit of pride. You know, well, well, what the devil do? And he said, I think I could run this place better than everybody else. Anybody else? I think I'd run this better than God. And he's very convincing because he convinced a third of the angels to give up heaven for hell. Yep. <clears throat> and Did you watch that commentary or that, that documentary that was on um, probably a year or so ago? talked about the demise of Hillsong Church. Mm -hmm. And I mean, some of the things that, that were going on, 
you know, those of us looking who are not within the church. Yeah, it's exactly what we're talking about here. It's pride. And it's because once you get that power, you don't want to get rid of it. And with that, we are signing off because we are out.